0: Welcome to A24 on the Rocks. I'm Eric, and I'm drinking a rosé today because it was very hot out today, and I kind of wanted to cool down with some nice rosé wine. Up next, we have my lovely wife, Kelly.
1: Hey, it's me, everyone's lovely wife, Kelly. Wait, just Eric's. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also drinking a rosé because Eric and I live together. Maybe you've picked up on that by now. But uh, I'm serving a look tonight. I've got a full face of makeup on, and I'm feeling inspired. After me Hmm. comes...
2: What's up? It's Blaze with Cheryl Ryan the First. Yes. I am drinking uh, Jack Daniels Honey with a splash of Diet Pepsi because they didn't have Diet Coke at the store.
3: Don't ask me why. Next up, finally tonight, we have. Uh, this is Cole William Whitlaw Gibson, your resident Canadian, here drinking the lovely son of a Pete the Redeemer batch number three scotch. Feeling fancy, feeling smoky, <laughs> need a drink.
0: Batch number three sucks, man. Batch number
3: four is where it's at. No, 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 there isn't a number four. That shows you how little you understand. I got it on
0: special reserve. Uh Uh-huh. They were uh, reviewing A Most Violent Year. And the plot of this movie is, In 1981 New York City, Abel Morales, the owner of a Queens heating oil company, has 30 days to come up with money to close on a property that will exponentially help his business. With his oil trucks getting hijacked and fierce competition from his competitors, plus pending charges from the district attorney's office, Abel is faced with a set of choices that pin the success of his business against eating his own pride and morality don't 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 so i kind of want to start out since 1981 is such an important time uh or important piece to this film i kind of wanted to set our audience back in 1981 and just kind of name some things that were going on during that time ronald reagan the actor was president and uh he p- appointed the first female supreme court justice ever that year sandra day o'connor There was also a large air traffic controller strike in which President Reagan fired all the striking employees in an attempt to break the back of the air traffic controller union. NASA launched its first space shuttle mission. IBM launched its first PC that used Microsoft software. Iran released the last of its 52 American hostages after they took people from the American embassy hostage following the Iranian revolution a few years prior. Elijah Wood and Justin Timberlake were born. Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Cards was the top Billboard song of the year, and Raiders of the Lost Ark was the highest grossing film of the year. And this year, there were more reported robberies in New York City than any year in its history. Hence the name, A Most Violent Year. So, let's uh, start out with Blaze here. In a previous episode, you were surprised by the look of New York City in the 80s, and that that much crime was going on. So the opening shots of this film are very much intended to set you in the time period and landscape that the film takes place in, what did you think of this portrayal of New York City in 1981?
2: Uh, I felt it felt very human. Uh, the setting, at least in the time period, I don't know who the cinematographer was, but they did a really good job of establishing shots. It almost felt like it was like filmed on like some sort of like 35 mm because it was very hazy, but it was also very crisp. So, um, as far as setting the scene of 1981, I love. I hate to call like the '80s a period piece, but it was like 40 years ago at this point, so it is a period piece. Um, and I just like all like the uh, the mechanical accounting machine that Jessica Lange was using, the uh, the extremely '80s house. There's a scene where Oscar Isaac goes to another uh, oil boss, and he just found out about a tennis machine, like the automatic tennis balls. You know, it was a very uh, interesting time in America. It was almost uh, contrasted of the Green Dragon. Where it felt really, really slummy in The Green Dragon. While well, in this movie, you got to see more of upper middle class and richer people, but also sprinkled in, you know, the
0: regular everyday workers. So I thought the setting was very cool. Kelly, what do you think of these 1981 vibes?
1: The setting, I agree, was cool. The cinematography is nearly unmatched in how amazing it was. It Red for
0: Young is the cinematographer, by the way. Just going to say that.
1: As Blaze was saying, it had a hazy but crisp feeling. I felt that it was velvety the whole time. It just looked gorgeous, and the color palettes were unstoppably beautiful. You can't go wrong with blues and oranges, and they really took advantage of that, along with the like emeraldy greens, and there was a lot of other colors that just are gorgeous set the time and so many landscapes that just looked like landscape art that someone might have painted themselves they would just sit on that frame for a long time so it painted a beautiful beautiful picture
0: cool you're you're 80s uh lovers yes. uh what did
3: you think of the yeah, 1981 so I'm, I'm a big uh, big fan of the 80s especially for the films from that era uh, i loved like the setting and like the way they presented everything and like Kelly and Blaze said, the cinematography was oh, it was awesome. I, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, all the wide angles and the long shots and stuff were all perfectly timed and done extremely well. Unlike Green Dragons, like Blaze said, this world felt <laughs> alive and felt more like there was uh, like a soul and stuff going on. While Green Dragons felt very just hollow and empty, kind of a shell. While this one... Had warmth and feeling, and and just like I don't know the way they used the backdrops and stuff in certain scenes was awesome. I, I big 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 good vibes, cool vibes, cool vibes.
0: Yeah, at the start of this film, they really started you out. It was Queens that where a lot of this was supposed to take place, and you could see a lot of the deindustrialization though. And almost my city right next to me, Detroit. It there's almost kind of a sadness, but almost a poetry in a way to some of the nature overtaking the urban jungle that that was. And that's what I definitely got from this film. So shortly after the, you know, kind of the setting shots of this film, we follow a young truck driver named Julian that works for Abel's uh, Heating and Oil Company. He gets his truck robbed and his jaw broken and ends up in the hospital. So Cole, what did you think Julian represented to the audience at this point of the film?
3: I think Julian... Um, like his representation was kind of as the, um, kind of like the linchpin, so to speak, of what, of, of what Oscar Isaac's character doesn't want to do. And then the other, so the flip side is what all the other kind of gangsters are doing for the oil and gas industry. And, and you know, that individual in that scene, he was kind of the the cause and effect, so to speak of, you know, all your, your drivers are getting the shit kicked out, you know, beat out of them because you're not protecting them, but Oscar Isaac doesn't want to go down the gangster route while the ga- all the other gangsters are, you know, they're going to take advantage of it and that guy was caught in the middle and then they used him throughout the, the, the film to kind of exacerbate certain things and and use him as, uh, not, a, not like a scapegoat, I guess, but use him to further push kind of Oscar Isaac's limits and, and, and then also gives kind of a closure as to why Oscar Isaac didn't want to do certain things and towards the end of the movie in the culmination. Okay. So it's, it's not lost
0: on me that Abel, uh, Oscar Isaac, was a driver to start out in this industry. Kelly, did you get any feels that like Julian kind of mirrored Abel earlier in his life?
1: Yeah, why'd you have to spoon feed it to me? That's what I was going to say.
0: <laughs> okay, well. <laughs>
1: but very much, like uh, they clearly make that a fact for us to draw that conclusion that he's hoping to be what our main character is now. That's his goal, and that's his the person he's attached his star to, is what you call it, when you're just like, this, this is what I want to be, mm-hmm. this is where I'm going to put my talent forth, because if I do good enough, I can end up like him. But And all of these kind of things, there's winners and there's losers, and there's more losers than there isn't. So I think that it's very clear we're supposed to, they mirror each other, and that always makes for a very good story.
0: Definitely. So his first competitors we meet are a sleazy man in a barbershop named Arnold Klein. And then we have Peter Ferrente, who is played by Alessandro Nivola, who played Roland in Ginger and Rosa. And um, (laughs) as you mentioned, yeah, he was playing tennis. What is the vibe you get from the other people in the industry? How are they Um, different? I I believe his name's
2: Abel, right? I think so, too. I thought... A B Abel, Abel. okay. His competitors, as you aptly called them, they are a lot grimier than Abel in this movie. They are very used to the old ways. I think um, one of the main themes of this movie is the changing of the guards on how, especially in this heating oil business, how uh, business is practiced. Because these other... Guys are shysty to say the least. The Peter guy who owned the tennis track uh, court, he said, yeah, my dad is an old school gangster and this is how like life used to be. We used to get, have to like board up and we just expected this. Well, Abel is, or Abel is more, he's more trying to be progressive in the fact, he's trying to convince them that we don't have to be at war against each other. You know, uh, we can all live in harmony the contrast is, like I said, the changing of the guards where these guys seem really sleazy and willing to do whatever it takes to uh, keep their, you know, their own fiefdoms. And Abel is more like, hey, we're all in this together. So I thought that was a great compare and contrast
0: between the old school and the new school um, in this movie. Cole, did you get those vibes too? The kind of compare and contrast to, uh, you know, Abel and his, uh, yeah, well, his first competitors? Yeah,
3: uh, the guy who plays Peter, I mean, fuck that guy. Still upset about Ginger and Rosa stuff. <laughs> but... Uh, which, to be fair, I feel like my feelings did get validated through this movie because I think he still is a scumbag. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely um, I liked how they portrayed the like Blaze was saying, the changing of the guards, especially with um, Oscar Isaac or Abel uh, kind of coming in and trying to do things right. And he, you know, bought this business from his wife's father, who was a known, you know, gangster at the time. And is dealing with all these other kind of like Mm -hmm. mob boss mentality people and you got some of the young blood coming in like the granddaughter who was coming in you got peter who was trying to do things a little bit differently but still kind of a sleeves bag and then there's some of the older guys still holding on that were just like you know would come up to like abel at the you know when he's getting his hair cut and stuff and kind of make you know some some little threats to him so to speak like the old school way of you know if you don't you know keep you got to stay out of our turf, otherwise we're going to, you know, fuck up your people or whatever, so. And I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. So,
0: Abel's wife, Anna, she seems to have as much of a hand in the business as Abel. She's played by Jessica Chastain of uh, Zero Dark Thirty. She, that was uh, the one she won an Oscar for. She seems to be okay bending the rules where Abel isn't as much. And it's kind of insinuated these charges against their business might have something to do with her accounting and uh, what she's been doing with the money all these years. Kelly, what do you think she represents as a character?
1: She is a low-key badass. I love that she isn't just a pretty wife. She is also a working woman and is just as involved in these business transactions as her husband is. Uh, I love that she's like, at any given time, we can get my dad and my brother involved. And it's always... No, no, we're going to do the right thing. And at the same time, she greatly mm-hmm. respects her husband for that until things start getting in the way of her family. And then it becomes, if you're not going to take care of us, then I will. And I think that having that deer scene was, it said so much about the two of them as characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that that was extremely well done. And it it really painted a broad picture of who they are as people just with that simple scene. But she's yeah. she's badass.
0: Blaze, I'm going to go to you. She mentioned it, so I guess this is really a great scene that shows the difference between Abel and Anna. Um, Abel, when he hit a deer with his car, he hesitated to kill it with a tire iron, and then out of frame we hear gunshots, and we figure out Anna has shot the deer with a gun. What do you think that says about the difference between the two of them? And also, what do you think that scene really meant?
2: I think, uh, first of all, phenomenal scene. That was probably like uh, outside of the chase scene, which we'll probably talk about eventually. That was my favorite scene in the whole movie, just uh, how well Jessica Chastain portrayed her character. I uh, actually wrote down the line that she said, because this is after she had found a gun in her daughter's hand when an intruder tried to break into their house and, you know, goon them up. She said, unlike you, who seems totally comfortable just standing around like some fucking pussy, I did something about it, <laughs> which is amazing. And what it means is that I think, like, for a movie that doesn't really have a lot of twists or turns or whatever, I think this was the exact moment where you found out, like, who's really running this company, who's really running this family, who, uh, you know, I hate, it probably sounds like a dead horse, but, like, she's like the Lady Macbeth of this movie, mm-hmm. where she is constantly, like, whispering into his ear, you know, to do not go down the right path be a little, you know, crooked just to, you know, cause everyone else is cheating. You might as well cheat too. I think this was a really strong portrayal of a strong female character that knows what she wants and nothing's going to get in the way of her family and her, uh, begrudging business. So, uh, yeah, just phenomenal. And I really feel like, uh, that's where she took command of the, uh, movie, at least as far as like who's running thing within her and Abel's yeah. family.
0: Cole, uh, I know you like Strong Red-Headed Woman, so you can talk about Anna a little bit here and also Jessica Chastain's portrayal of her.
3: Yeah, so uh, my fourth note for this movie was just uh, I love Jessica. Uh, I thought she was awesome. <laughs> I think she's a phenomenal actress uh, all around. I've enjoyed Legs like, the Zero Dark Thirty and other films that she's done but uh, I was not expecting her to be as like such a badass in this in this movie and I loved it. I thought she nailed it and that, that deer scene where she like you know shoots it. One that I, I was not prepared for a gunshot so that startled me and then when they get back in the car she plays it perfectly where she's kind of sitting there with a little smirk on her face of just like yeah I fucking, I'll take care of things because you can't Fucking do anything right, and uh, yeah, I all about it. Love Jessica Chastain, uh, she deserves mm-hmm. the best. Uh, I don't know if she's married, but hit me up. <laughs> oh my god, Kelly, <laughs> we? uh, you were about to say something. I was
1: gonna add in just the symbolism of him wanting to do the tire iron, was him taking the, the right way in his mind, the long way, the hard way, work hard and get it done. And hers, she's like, mm-hmm. there's a quick way, there's a questionably legal way and that's the route that I'm going to take, and it foreshadows the movie. We love a good foreshadowing, and they did just perfect delivery.
0: So uh, I think her character definitely, yeah, like she juxtaposes Abel a lot throughout the film. Abel is definitely somebody who is teetering on that line of um, morality and immorality. He wants to be moral, but he often gets pulled into these situations where he is becoming immoral throughout the film. The other thing I wanted to ask is, you know, Abel, he married Anna, and Anna was the uh, daughter of a mobster, and it's insinuated that he bought this business at a discount, so I have to ask, is Abel truly a self-made man, as he, you know, kind of insinuates multiple times throughout this film. He bought this business from uh, Anna's father at a discount, and yeah, often when Abel talks about how he's self-made, Anna will just, like, laugh at him, you know? Uh, so Cole, do you think this American dream image of him is kind of a mirage?
3: Yes and no. I mean I think I think, you know, how he was able to I think his his American image or what he his like ideal or what he wants is to is to buy that land. And he's trying to do it the right way and without, you know, getting goons and muscling people and, and breaking legs, so to speak, and that that's what his I think American dream is. Obviously, he's already reached a certain point where, you know, the character like uh, Julian is like, you have already have everything. To that point, I don't think he got to that point in like uh, by his own hard work, so to speak. I mean, he definitely worked hard and and put in the time. But with his relationship with Jessica Chastain and buying that that, uh, business at a discount, and obviously when he inherited that business, all of the other businesses were run crookedly. He kept the same, you know, standard industry practices for uh, a long time, or I don't even know if they, I guess, technically changed their standard industry practices, because they kept saying it over and over, and everyone seems to be uh, shorting people and, you know, messing with the scales and whatnot. So I think he is a, he's a gangster with morals, but his morals only go as far as, you know, physical violence, so to speak. Yeah
0: did you uh, kind of feel that he was he wasn't exactly a true like kind of picture of this American dream? Uh, there was definitely some underlying parts to him that um, he he wasn't exactly self made. Is that correct? Oh yeah,
2: think? I hundred percent agree. I think that's part of what this movie is trying to pur- purvey is that the the American dream, as you know, especially when we saw it in the eighties, was the age of greed and you know corporate you mm-hmm. know gimme gimme gimme. And greed is good. Exactly. And so I think the message was with him, you know, who his wife was, who his father-in-law was. It's no one is going to make it by being completely clean. You've got to get your feet wet at least a little. And it's what you do with that power once you make it to the top. You know, I think like he had to cut corners a lot in life to make it where he was at the beginning of the film. And then as soon as he makes it, he can kind of make the world his own and he can really try to walk that straight moral path. So, yes, he did not make it on his own. He did not make it, you know, through the blood, sweat and tears and, you know, a little bit of luck. He definitely got mm-hmm. a deal from a gangster because of who his wife was. And that juxtaposes to Julian, whose wife is just uh, another uh, Hispanic immigrant, where his mm-hmm. life sort of spirals down a bell. He kind of benefits from the society of, you know, the breaks that he's gotten.
0: What went this far, and we haven't mentioned Albert Brooks as playing the lawyer. I love Albert Brooks. He, he's actually more known for being in a lot of uh, romantic comedies, but he plays the lawyer who he is constantly dea- dealing with the assistant DA that is going after uh, standard heating and oil Bell's business. My question is uh, here to Kelly. Why do you think the assistant DA is specifically going after them when there's so many other corrupt people in this, bu- in this industry?
1: Didn't he say when they were in the court scene, like that's what he's been in charge of is cleaning up that industry specifically? Yeah.
0: Yes, but yeah, like I'm wondering why they're going after Abella's specific business mm. as opposed to all these other people that are seemingly even more corrupt, you know? It's
1: because of whoever the wife's dad was. Obviously, he was a massive gangster or currently still is. I don't think we ever met him. Uh, yeah. But they have that conversation outside of the child's birthday Mm -hmm. and I think that that's what it is I think it's the mobster connection I think that that's his easiest the one that he thinks he can prove the most and the one that he can follow the easiest because it's established something's already happened in there everything else you gotta dig up something new but I did like the relationship that he had with Abel where it was a gentleman's kind of contract and these handshakes and well you seem like a nice guy so I'll go ahead and tell you this right now Love negotiation scenes, there's tons in this movie. But the kind of relationship that these two had and how it results in the end, I thought found extremely interesting, fascinating. Well done. I always end my sentences that way. I found it interesting. I found this <laughs> I one interesting it. too.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh
2: please- Yeah, I just wanna say that uh the reason why he went after Abel's oil company specifically was just pure political. Because it's easier to slap, you know, 16 uh, infractions and then you can go to the paper and be like, look how much we're cleaning this Mm -hmm. industry instead of like actually doing Mm -hmm. the grunt work and finding out these thugs who are, you know, robbing their competitors. It's so much easier to say, ah, we caught them cheating on their books a little bit. So I think that's why. Good point. Good um, point. Especially at the time. Yeah.
0: And probably uh, if they went after the others, it would probably expose more money, which we'll later find out. People in this industry are probably paying people off to not go after them. As we progress, we start to see the downfall of Julian's character. He is, you know, the trucker that got his jaw broken. More of Abel's trucks are getting robbed. And so the union that represents these truck drivers wants to arm all of the truck drivers so that they're not, quote unquote, sitting ducks. You know, Abel is against this, clinging to his pride and morality. You know, this is a line that's too far uh, arming his truck drivers. And this leads up to Julian's first day back at work where the same two people that robbed him before attempt to rob him again, only this time Julian has a gun. And this leads to an awesome chase scene where they're running across a bridge in new york city this you know ends up with him running from the cops and you know kind of the rest of the film this guy's going to be running so my question to cole here is this is really you know it's hitting home that julian you know he might be kind of a mirror image of abel but this is where their paths really split right here abel got a lucky break in life is julian really just representing what abel would have been if he never got that lucky break
3: yeah, I think um I mean obviously I think Abel got a lucky break, but the you know the movie uses uses this kind of turn to really really like pound it into everyone's head of you know this is why you know Abel has his his morals of the no guns and you know not illegally arming his his truck drivers and stuff because in Julian you know epitomizes that whole that split that fork in the road of you know Oscar Isaac's Abel he could have he could have, you know, packed the whole time he was driving, and he would have went down the more of the the gangster route of being on the run. Or, but he chose to take, you know, not the easiest path, but the as he calls it the the most right path, mm-hmm. where he chose, you know, not to arm himself, not to use the guns, and to persevere and keep, you know, pushing on. Uh, that chase scene was awesome. I loved it. I thought it was one of the more um, Like realistic portrayals of of an interaction of a, you know, attempted carjacking of the truck and where, you know, they're kind of having a conversation uh, and the guy's trying to convince him of, like, well, where are you going to shoot at me? There's all these people, you could end up shooting him. And then they end up all running from the cops. And that interaction in the stairwell, I absolutely love between the two. Uh, guys, just, they're they're like out of breath. They're dying. They just ran for their life. Mm-hmm. And the one guy's just like, "Why the fuck you have to be here? You could just let us steal <laughs> the stupid truck." And the guy's like, "Fuck you." Yep. And the guy's like, "No, fuck you." And then uh, he's <laughs> like, "If you take the stairs, you know, you come out to the park, and then you could go on your way." And it's like. You know, kind of like a respect thing where the guy's like, you know what? If I get, you know, here, I'll help you out so we can all get away from the cops and, and you know, get back to doing what we do. Yeah. I thought that, I thought I really, really liked that scene a lot. I thought that was a very cool. Yeah, portrayal. Kelly, give
0: me your thoughts on that chase scene. Just how, you know, how wonderful I thought it was, but how wonderful did you think it was as wonderful?
1: Yeah, I did not expect everybody to live. I thought if yeah. they didn't end up killing each other, that the cops would shoot them down or something. You can't just shoot. Guns on a highway with, like, ten cops showing up. It's kind of crazy to me that they didn't shoot them. It was this fun kind of camaraderie in the end of... As Cole had just explained, they're back and forth. And even when they start running, they're just like, You better follow us. <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. better get going. I. It, but it had me so many times wondering, Okay, well, now he's going to shoot him. Oh, that didn't happen. Okay, now he's going to turn himself in. Oh, that didn't happen. Okay, once he gets into this spot... Now the robbers are just going to end him. Nope. Tricked me again. And it mm-hmm. all seemed like something that could actually happen. Being someone who has never been in that situation, possibly never will. Uh, it <laughs> was realistic as far as I can tell of how it's just like, okay, we'll all survive now. And we're on the same side and we'll get back to doing, as Cole said, what we were doing.
0: Yep.
2: Blaze, thoughts on the chase scene? Uh, yeah, I think you both already explained it extremely well. Um, just like how real the chase scene felt. Because a lot of chase scenes, like uh, I hate to do the worst example, but like a Fast and the Furious movie, it gets so ridiculous with like jumps and, you know, crazy, you know, like stuntman stuff that it almost takes you out of the movie. And the realism of this chase scene, especially you know, when they get out of the trucks and they're chasing them on foot and you can see them both physically exhausted uh, like they don't want to run anymore like I would be uh, this is two uh, last week I thought was a really good chase scene in um, the captive and this one just found a way to top it and just the, uh, the The gritty realism of what doing that would actually be like for most human beings. absolutely wonderful I do want to uh, go back to what you said about the contrast about uh, Julian and Abel do you guys think it's interesting in 1981 So uh, uh, Julian is a little sheepish, uh, understandably, of going back out on the road. And he asks Abel Mm -hmm. if he's ready to be a salesperson. And he says, you're not ready yet. And then next scene or a few scenes later, he's with his new sales recruits. And they're all white people. Yeah. Do you think that had something to do with... The time period, uh, whether they're ready, like he says, he got to about how fancy they were and how, you know, mm-hmm. they were the best. But I really feel like maybe he felt like a minority wouldn't be the best for his business now that he's in charge.
1: Left yeah. with the clues that we had in the movie, that's what I came to deduce as well. Because what other reason were we given for him to say that?
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I'm sure deep down he thinks that people might have an underlying racism against a Mexican man, mm-hmm. um, trying to sell them you know, or sell things to them. You know, there must have been an underlying racism there that him as a business owner, he just kind of knew that. So there's definitely something there. I-, I think that's a astute point. Now we're heading towards the climax of the film here where Abel, he uh, tells his competitors to stop stealing from him in a scintillating scene around a dinner table that almost represents a mob boss meetup. Anna is constantly angry at him, at Abel's inaction, and so is Abel's lawyer. So, what are your thoughts on that scene, as it's definitely one of the most intense scenes in the film? I'll give this one back to Blaze, actually.
2: Yeah, the uh, the scene itself was, for, for being as anti-gangster movie as this is, uh, there aren't many scenes like this where you can actually like feel the tension in the room, the entire scene. You know, so I think they did a really good job on portraying the type of stress that Abel was in, his own personal problems, and also with how they say that they're like with him at the end, but it kind of felt empty promises. So like, you really felt there was going to be like a big climactic scene during that. And it kind of uh, fell apart at the end. Abel had backed himself into a corner by even setting up this meeting. And so, yeah, I think it was really dramatic how they played out the entire scene Kelly, same to you? What
1: are your thoughts on that scene? It was a great um, job of storytelling and script writing that everyone who was at that table at that time, we had already met in the movie in different circumstances Mm -hmm. uh, before that happened, which for us as viewers gives us a lot of... We should be feeling what our main character is feeling because they set it up for us. And it comes immediately after the scene where he is asking the... Oil, oil granddaughter, I'll call her, mm-hmm. for the loan, where he's going within his own industry. That's just how he's going to do what he has to do. And then immediately she's at the table, and they've been talking before he gets there, and I'm like, they've already got established relationships. It was really good. Like I said, there's negotiation scenes, and they're sitting around a table scene. I don't love if the whole movie is that kind of way. I'm a loud hater of The Godfather. If nobody knows that already, can't stand that movie. <laughs>
3: I they did... <laughs> this You're
1: movie saying that however, on a movie
3: podcast that's really funny. I know this movie, however, <laughs> we could edit that out, right
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> We just lost all of our viewers. Let's, let's the biggest ahead. part for the me. Gone. The biggest
1: part for me is we had been introduced to everyone at that table ahead of time, and I thought that that was an extremely strong point of storytelling.
0: All right, so this is uh, shortly followed by a chase scene where Abel chases down one of the robbers of the trucks and uses violence and a gun to try to intimidate one of them into giving him answers after the robber flips over one of those oil trucks. So uh, in this film, we constantly live on the line of the moral and the immoral, especially with Abel. And even though Abel chooses to let the robber go, Cole, was this the point where we got a hint of Abel finally choosing to let go his morality and to bend the rules?
3: Uh, you know, I don't think so. Because I think, uh, you know, he's, the whole entire time I'm like, he's going to snap, he's going to, to, to break. And this whole scene, like the chase scene where the, you know, they flip over the whole oil tanker, you know, the truck. And the he's running for his life and he finally catches him and he has the gun and he just is beating the shit out of him is jamming the gun into his the guy's eye i'm like he's just gonna fucking pull the trigger i'm like this is gonna be where he like snaps and everything changes and now he's about to go you know most violent year on everybody which is (laughs) what i was thinking Mm -hmm. Uh, and then he he pulls back and he he sticks by his his you know his his morals of not resorting to you know, he did resort to violence, but not to the extreme as, say, all of the other people that, you know, all the other mob bosses and stuff probably would have just killed that guy right away and moved on. And I think you even, he even got, you know, by not, by choosing to let the guy go and just telling him to leave, you know, the guy gives him the information he wanted. And so he's, he's rewarded for, for not taking that final plunge of, of crossing the line of murder and and turning into basically just a gangster at that point, so so I don't think he I think he, he stuck by his convictions even though he got pushed so far to the edge to the point where you know any other gangster would have just killed that guy and moved on with their lives, but he he did not. So
0: okay, Blaze, do you think this was at least hinting at that uh, kind of the death of Abella's morality? Yeah, I think this was his exact tipping
2: point. Cole was alluding to. I think this is like at the line where. Even most people who are decent in life would probably just be so frustrated, be so stressed, be so whatever. And Cole said, like, he didn't end up shooting the guy, but he was literally, like, jamming that gum into his face. And he had murder in his eyes. Luckily, I think if he didn't know where the guy was coming from, who knows what would have happened if he hadn't gotten the clue. But yeah, I think this was really supposed to be the point in the movie where his metal was actually tested as waves of life kept crashing and crashing. This would have been the perfect time. They were all alone. He would have probably gotten away with it scot-free and he chose chose to walk away from the situation and get it done the long long but hard way. Yes, this was the the exact tipping point, but he definitely uh,
0: overcame it somehow. We're getting towards the end of the film here. So Bell finally figures out who's been stealing from him as the robber says that he's been sell- selling his oil in Far Rockaway Beach, but still he does not have enough money to pay for the property that he wants to buy. And so this is kind of followed up with him having to swallow his pride. He has to go around asking his competitors for money to secure the financing for his property. And so uh, this kind of leads to Bell figure out that his wife has been skimming money from the company all along that she has an undisclosed amount of money that will make it so he can purchase the property without taking money from his biggest competitor. But on the way to that, though, it's really, you know, Abel, he's hanging on to his pride. That's really the only thing he has left. And I think, you know, that was such a big part of his character. So him going around asking for these people for money. Kelly, do you think that was really the death of his pride and ego at that point?
1: Yeah, I think so. Especially asking his little brother. He's going to ask his little brother. He's going to ask someone who is his competitor. He's going to ask the scary mob guy who says, I'm not a good person to do business with. I think so. I think that that's a really, really difficult thing to do, especially if you are well-respected in your industry and as a businessman.
0: Cole, did you think that was kind of the death of his pride at that point?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think
3: his pride took a big hit, but he... um I would say his his pride took a hit but he was a strong enough man to to get or not man but like a strong enough individual and from a character perspective to understand that he's not going to let pride ruin the life that he's trying to build for him and his family and to get you know like I said his american dream which is to get that property to mm-hmm. to establish his business to be able to run it the right way and to beat his competitors and be the you know oil guru for that area and to do it without having to resort to buying you know to the goons and stuff and if he has to get that money from less favorable sources he's willing to swallow his pride and do so so I think his pride took a hit but I think he showed I guess a lot of character he's a a complex character that has strong morals and a strong drive and he's not going to let you know pride get in the way of of what he wants to accomplish. So yeah, that after he asks
0: all those people uh, for money, it follows up with uh, his wife telling him, yeah, she's been skimming money off the company all this time. He asks, like, can I actually buy this property and get away with it? Will I like get hit with a lawsuit or go to jail if I try to buy this property with this money? And she says, it's as honest as every dollar we've ever made. Blaze, what do you think those words meant? Nothing. They were
2: hollow. I think she was trying to uh, reinforce the fact that they wouldn't even be in business without her and her uh, family that is connected to dirty money. So it was really more of a, probably in her sense, a, a more of a I told you so sort of thing in the fact that you cannot make it in this business without getting your hands dirty. And she did it her way. She skimmed off the books just enough to where no one noticed until they got big enough. This is her just telling them that, you know... There is no moral right path in business. There is only winners and there are losers. And throughout the movie, she expressed it. And that was kind of like the final like nail in the coffin of probably what he thought the American dream was. The ideal American dream versus the actual American dream.
0: Kelly, same to you.
1: I agree. I think Blaze said it really well. I found that this part of the story to be a little bit saw that coming. <laughs> like she's every been skimming
0: the money the whole time you saw that yeah, yeah
1: yeah with her with her desk and her wanting to hide all the papers not until i go through them and uh when she finally says what she's been doing and i like that she writes it down on a piece of paper shows them great acting on both sides of him mm-hmm. like what it was like a little bit i saw that coming
2: can i just can i just that's, say that's all. um just real quick since kelly brought up in fact, when the FBI came to the birthday party, they're hiding the boxes or whatever. And like while they're waiting, I thought one of the greatest fuck yous was passive aggressive fuck yous was uh anna giving the cop like a piece of birthday cake that was like so gangster in my opinion yeah. oh man this is the confidence just the arrogance was just
0: what does she say she like points at him like this disappoints me yeah <laughs> yeah she's that like that's a great line
1: well when she turned her on her heel and walks back in that was my favorite and i i can't mm-hmm. wait for that moment someday in my life where i get to just go <laughs> this was very disrespectful Yeah, yeah. She was like
2: something about around like ruining a birthday party over nothing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. you're (laughs) embarrassing my family over nothing. Yeah, yeah.
0: So Cole, uh, you're a Canadian. Uh, When you moved to this country, (laughs) what was the real American dream versus the kind of fake American dream? As as (laughs) Blaze just said, uh, when you were a young boy coming here, you uh, came on that boat over Niagara Falls. I'm sure you went right over Niagara Falls and dropped right into Buffalo. <laughs> what did you think the real American dream was versus the fake American dream? And how do you think this film portrays
3: that? Um, so my real American dream as a kid, I don't know, you know, I never really had like the white picket fence or any of that like kind of nonsense of what I wanted for you know my American dream. Uh, I was uh, I'd very, I guess like as a kid, uh, my goal was to uh, to get a very good job and make lots of money. That was that was my my uh, I, my American dream. Is I want to be. When I heard someone talk about like six figures, I was like, "That's what I want. I want. Yeah. I want to be the big guy. I want to make all the money." Did so you
0: always was... want to do it honestly though, or if oh you yeah, know I, I yeah. never
3: thought about ever going into. Being a crook and gangster life and all that stuff, but if
0: I, I think what this film really is trying to insinuate, though, is that if you do want to get to that next level, you want to be that millionaire, you're going to have to shed some bodies on the way. You're going to have to exploit people. There's going to be some like dirt that you're going to have to do. Do you think that's a fair portrayal of the real American dream?
3: Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. That's why that's why I shot low for you know the six figures because once you get yeah. into the into the <laughs> you know the eight figures there's at least one or two dead people forever yeah 100 percent. no like Mm -hmm. to get to that level yeah especially if you are a business owner and stuff you know they talk about how you basically have to be like a sociopath and just Mm -hmm. just cutthroat Mm -hmm. and not care about your competitor and it's always a competition and and it does not matter how shitty it is or you know Ethical, or even in the gray area of legality of legal versus illegal, if you can use it and if you can get ahead, do it because everybody's cheating. Everybody's going to do it. If you don't do it, someone else will, and you're going to be the one that gets fucked. Yeah. So, So, Kelly, I guess growing up
0: for me, I always thought, you know, hey, I could work an honest job, be a good guy, and I'll, I can achieve that American dream. I can, you know, make a lot of money. And I mean, I, I think I'm doing okay for myself, and I haven't killed anybody, but uh. (laughs) Do you think that the American Dream, as it pertains to this film, it's kind of trying to say it's a lie? You know, like I think we were always sold in the movies and everything growing up that yeah, if you you work hard, you'll you'll get to where you're going. But do you think in this film, it's saying something different?
1: It's not telling us the, the same story that The Great Gatsby gives us, uh, where even if okay. you make it, you don't really belong. This is a different story that is, yeah, you can achieve it, but no one ever asked how you had to get there. And I think it's kind of how we were just saying, you you look at these big figure jobs, you have to be kind of disconnected from humanity to a certain extent. Uh, I don't think that the American dream ever tells you that you don't have to do that. I think (laughs) that if you want it bad enough and you just roll enough lucky dice... Sure. It can be yours. And I think that that's what this movie is saying as well.
0: Okay. So finally, we have the last scene where Abel finally purchases his property and Julian, the truck driver, shows up after all this time and shoots himself in front of them. Then there's that amazing shot of the blood on the oil tank and Abel plugging the hole next to his dead body, plugging the hole of the oil tank next to this guy's dead body. Blaze, do you think that was a metaphor for anything?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think it was a huge metaphor for profit over people. I think as much as he was shown to uh, care for Julian, and Julian specifically said, you know, right before he did commit suicide, he was like, I want you to watch over my family, take care of my family. And then he does the deed. And the fact that Abel, who has been, you know, his whole life work has gone up to this, even like the smallest bit of lost profits is actually killing him more than his dead replaceable employee. So uh, Mm. I think the metaphor is that once you make it to, again, we're talking about the American dream and stuff like that. Once you make it to a certain spot in life, the people beneath you are, you know, less than people and the product Mm. is actually more important than the people. So I think that was the metaphor is that Abel had finally made that transition over to profit over people.
0: Mm-hmm. Kelly, same to you.
1: Blaze said Agreed. it. I don't have to <laughs> add anything, honestly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I guess, you know, your graphic designer, what did you think of that shot? You know, just that shot of him with the blood on the oil tank and him plugging it.
1: Oh, it was well done, but more so for me, it was the audio. Yeah. I didn't realize what we were standing or what he was standing right in front of. They don't show us the oils trickling down right away. We saw someone blow his brains out, and then we Mm. just hear trickling. And I was like, oh, my God, it's his brain. It's the blood (laughs) all over the ground. And then the camera kind of pans. And I was like, oh, no, it's the profit, actually. It's the money falling down. And Mm. I thought when I first thought that it was like (laughs) what I thought it was audio-wise, I was like, what an interesting dark, even darker twist, because... Uh, a suicide is bad enough, but to like, put an audio that I first thought that it was, I was like, that's twisted. <laughs> but then yeah. we get back we get back into capitalism as evil and look what happens.
0: For sure. And so following up, the assistant city attorney, essentially, you know, he goes up to Bell uh, after this guy killed himself, you know, and he he's there for that. And he basically says, or Bell says to him, I'm not going to accept uh, felony charges. And then the guy's like. I know, <laughs> and then he's just bas he basically tells them, uh in America, we pay to play. If you you know give us some campaign donations, we will lessen your charges, you just eat some misdemeanors and some fines, you'll be fine. so i I mean, I think we Kelly just kind of said it, but Cole, what did you think this film was a critique of overall, and what do you think it was really trying to say?
3: I think it was really trying to say that um teamsters are the bane of our existence. <laughs> and they try and ruin all of our hard work oh come on ronald reagan get out of here (laughs) no no uh i think uh i think it was definitely a um like a metaphor for you know capitalism and you know what are the what are you willing to do to get to your american dream or to your goal like what you know how many people are you willing to walk over and fuck over no matter how you know high moral you may seem so like you know abel is has high moral character compared to the other people of that industry but when you compare him to like a normal american he his morals are are way worse because a lot of people if they see a guy that they know and have cared for blow his brains out right in front of you you're mm. not going to think about the oil that's pouring out you're going to think about you know i just lost you know a, a friend or someone that i knew a co-worker or even if a fucking random person killed themselves yeah. in front of you, that's pretty pretty horrific and he showed little to no remorse and did not care. Um, so it just showed you know how well, like the capitalism and stuff and how you know when you become so money focused and you just lose your humanity, so to speak mm-hmm. where you know he just cared about the money, did not care about the people. Also uh, that gun 100% would not have shot through that tank. <laughs> Those tanks are there is. way thicker. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get on my engineering soapbox here from our fuels division. Uh, we do lots of tank inspections and stuff. Uh, yeah, those tanks are way thicker. That bullet would not go through that tank. Also, uh, the head pressure on that oil to do like a laminar flow like that. No way a napkin's going to plug that hole either. <laughs> so that's two knocks against you. Also, uh, Oscar Isaac has a redheaded child. Don't know how that comes in the mix with a blonde it's a recessive moment. gene.
0: What? It's a recessive gene. That that happens exactly. all the time.
3: No, but he, you know, he's Hispanic and his wife in this movie is blonde even though Jessica Chastain has red hair. Don't know how that works out. It's it true like some blonde. Of her genes. Yeah. I, I'm just saying. The... Yeah,
0: well it happens though. We're too Parents are not redheaded, and they have a redheaded child.
1: Well, yeah, that's me, but my dad isn't Hispanic either.
3: <laughs> well, it could, could,
0: could have came from the mom. Who knows? Uh, Kelly, you were about to say something?
1: Yeah, so Cole was talking about how most people, that kind of thing happens in front of you, and you're not just status quo, get it taken care of, moving on. I bought my new property. But also, on the side of opposite of business owner, the uh, he's an assistant DA, Correct. He's the one who shows yes, up to the scene. DA. And he's yeah. like, someone killed themselves on your property? This is a perfect time to give you my politics spiel. And yeah. let's let's move forward with this. And it's like, both sides are corrupt. Both sides are very corrupt, and they don't care about what's happening to, quote-unquote, the little people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And, yeah, Blaze, did you get the same thing largely, largely from uh, that? I, I want to ask you more about... Basically saying, if you donate some money to me, you can eat less, lesser charges. Did, did oh, you think that was a very fair assessment of what would have went on during that time and now, actually?
2: Well, yeah, I think uh, I, I agree with everything that Cole and Kelly said, but expounded on is as the whole... The point of the movie is to say the whole system is broken. The The, the point is is that uh, Abel is actually trying to lead the most right path that you can in business. And that's, that's the point, that mm-hmm. even... Even the most straight of an arrow as a person in business is, they still are. There's going to be blood on their hands. Uh, assistant uh, DA Lawrence knows the game as well. So he says, mm-hmm. you know, let's perpetuate this. Let's become friends. I'm going to let you off with something a little easy. I'm still going to hit you. Then the public thinks I'm doing something. You don't get hit with, you know, unpermanent guns. You don't get hit with this scamming shit you get hit with your accounting's a little off you know and everyone everyone comes off as heroes so pays a
0: fine yeah so
2: you know i think that's the point of especially the ending scene and i wanted especially to go back to what kelly said about how great the cinematography was and so they're talking about political stuff and he he tells uh abel that he's come a long way in a short time and abel says that he's always chosen the path that was most right and that was his current path lawrence says i hope so and they both look out to the view of a picturesque view of New York across the East River. And that was, you know, the false when you're talking about the 1980s, it, you're talking about the false advertisement of how great America was. And that was the great and establishing side, especially for a movie that took place in 1981. It was all about the aesthetics. It wasn't about what was inside. Yeah. So, yes,
1: <laughs> I agree yeah, with well said well said. Plays. And that's also, they give us that same kind of view near the beginning of the movie when he's looking at the property, when yeah, yeah puts down his uh, down payment, and it's an iconic view, and it means so much with just that one scene, and it yeah, great example.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I also think that this is why the assistant DA was going after him specifically out of all these people, is because he might have been the only one not paying people off, and that's, at the end, he's like, well, you have the money and power now, you can make this go away. That'll lead you know, to my, what I actually thought this film was about. Yeah, I mean, I agree with it, what everyone really said. This is a harsh critique of capitalism. Uh, there is no morality in capitalism. No matter how good you want to be, there will be bodies left behind and people that are exploited, and you can only get ahead by bending the rules and being an immoral person when you get to that level of uh, this world. This is a dog-eat-dog world, and the rule of law is really a mirage for people that have that much money and power. And uh, that's what I think this film says overall. And this system only favors power and money. So we can move on to our grades. Uh, Oh, also once I I wanted to add that Alex Ebert, he did the closing song and did the music for this. And he's the guy from uh, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zero. Oh, no uh, way. Who's like, yeah, you know, he does home. Yeah. Um, Alabama, Mm -hmm. Arkansas. Yep, yep. The music on this movie was also- Also very good. Yeah, and that ending song's called America For Me, and uh, I, I saw this film before, and I love that song, so. Anyway, ratings, let's start out with Kelly.
1: Okay. We talked about storytelling, we talked about cinematography, we even touched on music towards the end. The highlight of this movie for me was cinematography, and I told us all why at the start of this episode. I think that... If we had stripped away the cinematography, would the story be as strong? Yeah. Yeah, it was extremely good. The way they introduce characters, the way that they give us just enough of them, and they also showcase people from all different walks of life with so little spoon fed to us, uh, they never never underestimate the intelligence of the audience viewing this movie, which I really appreciate. Very good on storytelling as well. There is... My one critique is that I don't feel that this movie had a wow, wow factor. It had a wow factor, and it was an extremely good film, and it was an extremely beautiful film. But walking away from it when it ended, am I going to keep thinking about it? Am I going to want to watch it again within the next five years? Probably not. And that's not the biggest, like, diss. I still think amazing film. Everyone should probably see it. But is it one that I'm going to keep talking about, going back to, and putting in my top 10 best films ever? No. Uh, So with this in mind, strong B plus 24.
0: All right. Uh, Cole, we'll go to you next.
3: Unlike Kelly, I think uh, there was lots of wow factors. Uh, Just whenever Jessica Chastain was present, um, she is herself a wow factor. So... (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That uh, is very true. Bonk. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> you gotta have a daily bonk
0: or er, every episode. We're gonna have to bonk you at some point.
3: Yeah, I um, I I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I loved the vibe and the feel and the cinematography. I I've never seen this movie before, and I'm sad that I haven't seen this movie before because it is it is very good. Uh, I love this like the story of a, a gangster movie with a like almost like a gangster that's an anti-gangster, or Abel doesn't want to be one, but he's in it, he's a part of it, but he doesn't want to do guns, he doesn't want to get goons, he doesn't want to do that, but he's still trying to command the same respect, and I really liked that. Uh, kind of in that line, Oscar Isaac is a phenomenal actor, um, they did a great job building tension, the scene with the salesman, and how it's cutting back between the salesman and Julian, coming back to work, and that tension building is... You can feel everything about to to, 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 break. And I'm about to break. Super super good. My one critique is uh, well, I, got, I guess I got two. One, I don't know why Jessica Chastain can't be a redhead in the movie. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> and two, uh, there is a scene where uh, when the girl fi- when the little girl finds a gun, it's a 1911. And then when they show the gun and she's waving it to. Her uh, to Oscar Isaac, it's no longer a 1911. It's a different pistol. I don't know. I think it's like a Browning, but I'm not 100% sure. It's one
1: of those wow. transforming guns, popular in 81. Come on. Come on.
0: I, like, if you sh- Show me a movie where everything's just perfect and there's not one mistake.
1: <laughs> the movie
3: I make. I'll tell you what. I'm going to be the prop master of extraordinaire <laughs> over here. I'm going to make damn sure that there's continuity. That's the point
0: where you got to just be like, it's a movie. Like, there's going to be a, a few I things know. that... I don't know. I, I just, mean, there, just stood there's, Yeah, gross, like things that happen in other films where it's just oh, like yeah. what, how the fuck did that happen but uh <laughs> this film yeah i don't think it goes that far but anyway
3: uh also most violent year and only two people die <laughs> doesn't seem that Fine, <laughs> <laughs> but no i i love this movie i'm giving it uh, i'm giving it a, a solid b plus couldn't couldn't push it into the a tier because there no red hair you know mm. disrespect but otherwise b plus all around loved it all right please
2: yeah, I think uh, Kelly and Cole both put this very aptly of what about what this movie is, what this movie stands for, how this movie was presented. I I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is the best cinematography I've seen out of the movies that we have watched so far. Just just as, uh, Oscar Isaac in general, he does so much with with so little. Like he's does it, he's not someone that acts particularly phenomenally, but he does so much with his camera time and his eye movement and his mouth movements and like just the subtle things that. Unless you're looking for it, you're not even going to see it. So uh, Jessica Chastain was this is as good as she's ever been in anything that I've ever seen. All the sporting cast was fantastic. I think, I think the theme of the movie was a little heavy handed. I don't think any of us had to guess what this movie was about. The those metaphors weren't exactly, uh, you know, subliminal, which is okay, especially in a movie like this. I think we should have touched up on more. I do think this movie does have strong uh, anti-capitalism vibes, but I think it also has uh, anti-gun vibes as well, which I think is something that we should have talked about. You know, this movie is one of the most misdirected names of all time. It's called The Most Violent Year. And as Cole said, there were like two deaths and one was a suicide. But it makes sense within the time period that it was taking place in. Uh, And then one more thing that I want to say is that this was probably the best week of Oscar Isaac's life because the same time that this was this was limited showed in December of 2014, but it was wide release the exact same week that Ex Machina came out, which also we're going. We're wow. On, yeah.
0: So yeah,
2: so we're we're gonna review yeah. that in a couple of weeks.
0: But yeah. um, it was distributed the next year, by the way, which is why Ex Machina is gonna be later in our timeline uh, for reviews than uh, this film. So yeah, so A24 yeah, is distributed. Yeah, yes. By A24. Yeah. <laughs> So given all that,
2: I love I love the acting. I love the cinematography. The metaphors were good. Uh, slow at sometimes, but, you know, I think the slowness was on purpose, and it really made me appreciate the movie more. So I am going to give this an A-24. Uh, it's just it's slipping on the edge between B-plus and A-minus, but I think the things that I liked about it uh, work more for me than the things I didn't like about it. So A-24, fantastic film. I would definitely watch it again, and
0: I would re- – request that my friends watch it at least once as well yeah so this was my second time seeing the film and unlike Locke which I we reviewed earlier I like this film even more on the second viewing and when that happens that means a, a film is pretty fucking good seeing this the second time I just really paid attention to the writing and directing by JC Chander uh the acting and just like cinematography music the overall message and the metaphors it was all just perfect I think that there are other A24 films, four films that aren't as heavy handed in their metaphors and their message. But I actually can kind of just appreciate this for what this is. I'm okay with it being a more simple uh, A to B plot. Not having too much bubbling below the surface. I'm okay with that. Uh, and even better for me, this is a period piece. I love history. I love being placed in a different point in, in time and kind of living in it for up to two hours. You know, that I always love that. So I'm gonna give this my highest grade we've uh, I've given so far. I'm gonna give it an A24. It's my favorite film from the first two years of A24. Uh, better than Enemy for me. Better than Under the Skin. Better than The Rover. I really enjoyed it. I loved everything about it. So there it is. Oh, there you go. Ending two, 2014 on a high note. Man.
2: Snaps
1: all around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> after the, what a film. After,
2: after that absolute slog fest of the last like four movies. That's. <laughs>
0: It's good to like. Yeah, see, maybe that was another thing. It's like we last four slash five movies we've had some pretty bad movies, and now we're yeah. This was like so good compared to those films. So five five could, minutes yeah. into
1: this movie, I was like, oh yeah, now this is a film. This That's is what filmmaking supposed, supposed to be like. Be gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, I I and stick
2: pat on my uh, on my the captive grade. I I still think it was a way better movie happen. than you guys uh gave it, but. It's good to see that we all You're we can gonna all scoop. come together as an A24 family again on uh, movies. So.
1: Yeah. As long as we vibe. Yeah. Uh,
0: except for Kevin. Kevin couldn't
3: make
1: it. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Sadly, Kevin couldn't make it tonight. Uh, yeah, but... Kevin
3: hated this film.
0: So, like, a pro- <laughs> programming note here. Um, our next episode, we are going to give our favorite film from 2013-2014, and our worst film from 2013 slash 2014. And we're also going to have a film we wish we could have rated better and a film we wish we could have rated worse. And uh, we are also going to interview a A24 cocktail maker, a guy named Brendan Johnston from uh, the A24 film group. And uh, he is going to make some cock- A24-themed cocktails for us. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah. we will see you next week. Yeah, should be fun.
1: Bye. Bye. Namaste.
0: Okay.